I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities is just too soon. I think it's too soon. Oh, do you? You think it's too soon? That's not what you said the day before, Mr. President. Get your lies well, straight. I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Oh, it certainly is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, uh, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day, even during pandemics. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com with another edition of The Bradcast, your radio to quarantine by. Hope you are doing well. Thank you for joining us today. Yesterday, uh, we discussed how CNN had reported that Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence had made a phone call to Georgia's dumb-as-dirt, illegitimate Republican Governor Brian Kemp on Tuesday to congratulate him on his plan announced on Monday to reopen businesses like bowling alleys and barbershops and tattoo parlors and massage parlors this Friday in the Peach State with restaurants and movie theaters to open on Monday. Well, no sooner did we literally sign off the air, Desi Doyen. <laughs> you saw me go crazy as soon as we turned <laughs> off the mics. Like, oh, my gosh. I, I said the, wor the words, uh, good luck world, turned off the mic, and boom, alert alerts started popping up on my, uh, on my iPhone that Trump had suddenly reversed his position and now was essentially making a sucker out of Kemp, throwing him under the bus... Hope you enjoy being under that uh, 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 bus, Governor Kemp. You'll find a lot of uh, Trump's previous sycophants there as well. Uh, anyway, throwing him under the bus uh, for following Trump's own suggestion that states start opening back up for business, despite all the health experts who say it is absolutely not time to start reopen for business. NBC's headline said Trump reverses course, says it's too soon for Georgia Governor Kemp to reopen the state. 
The president says he told Governor Kemp, I strongly disagree with his decision to reopen nail salons and tattoo parlors, but he uh, but that he wouldn't stop him from doing so anyway. Not that the president has the power to stop him from doing so, as far as I know. Well, today we learn that Trump's own task force experts had essentially begged him, had to force uh, the president to say that reopening Georgia was a bad idea. But while Trump may be an idiot, he's not an idiot. <laughs> Yesterday morning, okay. uh, as our friend Heather Digby Parton noted at her blog, Hullabaloo, uh, he tweeted, uh, Trump tweeted, states are safely coming back. Our country is starting to open for business again. Special care is and always will be given to our beloved seniors. Their lives will be better than ever. We love you all. Now, why was uh, why was he tweeting what Digby described as condescending BS, even though she didn't use the word BS? Well, uh, she cites uh, Morning Consult, uh, which has been tracking surveys showing that people older than 65 strongly believe by a six to one margin that the government should focus more on addressing the spread of coronavirus than on restarting the economy. As the president signals that he wants to reopen states before their governors and public health experts recommend as responsible, older Americans are losing their support for Donald Trump. Senior citizens approved of Trump's handling of the outbreak in mid-March at a higher rate than any other group in the country, with a net approval of plus 19. But Morning Consult finds that approval has now drained away by 20 points over the past week among that group. Digby says seniors would prefer not to live in prison for the rest of their lives so that Trump and his unhinged death cult can parade around waving flags and infecting everyone they know. It's a bad bet. That's what he's offering people over 60 because he's clearly ready to let lots and lots of people die so his cult and his business buddies can be appeased. Good luck with this plan, she writes. There are uh, many millions of liberal baby boomers and older who were never going to vote for him anyway, but there are many more who have been his avid fans. If he loses them, he's got a problem. And just telling them that special care will be given them probably is not all that comforting, she says. They may love to own the libs, like all the Trump cultists do, but this is life and death, and on some level, these people know he is an ignorant clown. That uh, thinking may now be showing up in other polling as well, that you know Trump keeps a very close eye on, especially when, maddeningly for him, it comes from Fox News. Now, I, I frequently uh, tell you to pay little or no attention to these national polls showing Joe Biden beating Donald Trump this November because we do not have national elections in this country. We have state by state elections and there are a few of them, a few of those states that will matter much more than all of the others at the presidential level. And Fox News now has new numbers. Fox News. From two of those states today, uh, both of which are key, and I am certain that Trump has noticed both of these polls. So and so now, just so you don't accuse me of spinning any of this, I'm going to read straight from Fox's report on this. Uh, first, 
Uh, majority of uh, Michigan voters are concerned about coronavirus, think President Trump was too slow to reacting to it, and favor waiting to reopen the economy. That contributes to Joe Biden leading the presidential race in a Fox News poll of Michigan registered voters. Uh, with an eight-point advantage over Donald Trump in the crucial state of Michigan, 49 to 41 percent. They note that party loyalty, this is interesting, party loyalty seems to be helping Biden as 91 percent of Democrats back him compared to just 85 percent of Republicans supporting Trump in Michigan. That's kind of fascinating, given the way that Republicans have, uh, you know, stuck with their man in far higher numbers than Democrats seem to be able to rally around anybody, at least up until now. True, but it seems also to me still shocking that there are so many Republicans who still do support their man, that even still though 85%. he is obviously insane yeah. and not all at all up to the task. Yep. Uh, but uh, more Democrats are sticking with Biden, at least as of now. Uh, likeability. Fox says could be the key by a 10 point margin. More have a favorable than unfavorable opinion of Biden, 53 to 43, whereas views of Trump are net negative by eight points. Just 44 favorable and 52 unfavorable. Trump won Michigan reportedly, never confirmed Fox News, by just 10,704 votes, less than a quarter of a percentage point. So these numbers uh, are quite important, at least as far as who may win the state of Michigan this November. And whoever may win the state of Michigan this November, uh, that is also very important to whoever becomes the president. I should also note here, as Fox does, that according to their poll, when Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is included as Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate, the race actually narrows a touch to a six to only a six point advantage against Trump and Pence. Which is kind of strange. It's eight point advantage without this popular governor. And she is popular. Uh, but when she gets on the uh, ticket there, it's, it actually reduces yeah. support for Biden. That yeah. is that is unusual. Keep I don't that understand in mind. that. Keep that in mind, please. So that is somewhat odd. Uh, Fox notes that Whitmer is very popular in her home in her own home state. Sixty three percent of voters approve of her job performance. 58% have a positive opinion of her personally. So she has a 28-point positive approval rating, much higher than uh, the approval numbers for Trump in Michigan, where his approval ratings are underwater at negative four, even as he's been attempting to gin up protests in the state against Whitmer, tweeting things like, Liberate Michigan! Specifically on handling coronavirus, Whitmer's job approval is 19 points higher than Donald Trump's. That must drive him nuts, although it's a short drive. The difference is uh, driven in part by a majority saying that Trump failed to act soon enough. 59% think he was too slow. 38% say his response was appropriate. On the other hand, a majority agrees with the action that Whitmer took to prevent spread of the virus, while 33% think her stay-at-home order is too, per, uh, too restrictive. 57%, 57% majority say it is about right and another 9% think she should have gone further. So uh, good luck liberating Michigan, Mr. President. A majority, 61%, would 
would rather wait to loosen restrictions, even if, if even if it prolongs the economic crisis. That is far more than the 24 percent who want the economy to open sooner, even if it means the public health crisis goes on longer. So n- not good news for uh, Trump in Michigan which he would need to win again, along with Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, presuming none of the other states that went for Trump flip back to Democrats this year. Which brings us to the other Fox, uh, the other state that uh, Fox News polled, where there is more good news for Democrats. Again, reading straight from Fox News' own report here on their own survey. With most Pennsylvania voters concerned about catching coronavirus and nearly six in 10 believing the Trump administration was too slow to act, Joe Biden leads Donald Trump in the battleground state by eight percentage points there as well, according to a Fox News poll of Pennsylvania registered voters. Thirteen percent of voters who approve of Trump's job performance, this is interesting, are not currently supporting his reelection. And they either back Biden by 7%, or they won't vote, that's 1%, or they're undecided, that's 5%. Fox notes that makes his 42% share of the vote lower, Trump's 42% share of the vote, lower than his 47% approval rating. So we can't just look at approval ratings to decide if a state is going to go for Trump or not. Pollster Chris Anderson, who uh, conducts the Fox News poll, says if voters approve of his leadership style but are questioning if it is right for the future, holding on to Pennsylvania will be challenging for Trump. Meanwhile, Biden has a net positive favorable rating in the state by nine points. Trump is underwater by nine points. By the way, the poll also finds that Pennsylvania's Democratic governor, Tom Wolf, enjoys a 35 percent net approval rating while Trump is underwater there as well. Uh, On coronavirus, 69% approve of Governor Wolf's handling of the coronavirus situation. 62% say his stay-at-home order strikes the right balance. Another 12 say it is not restrictive enough, with only 23% calling it too restrictive. Nearly two-thirds of Pennsylvania voters want to wait to reopen the economy, even if it extends the economic crisis versus just 25 percent who want to reopen it now, even if it kills more people. So I would, you know, when you see all of this uh, media coverage, the cable news loves to cover angry Republican Republicans protesting, no matter how few of them there actually are in reality. They love the spectacle of Republicans protesting and surprisingly not so much the spectacle of anybody else protesting. Exactly. When Democrats protest, when climate activists protest. It's like, no oh, coverage that's at all. so hard to do. Right. But that stuff, oh, it's Republicans waving Confederate flags. Let's focus on them. Yes, let's turn our entire Sunday news shows over to them. Uh, anyway, so these are small uh, uh, crowds. Uh, most people in these states are strongly behind the restrictions that are in place. In any event, all of that good news, perhaps for Democrats uh, there as well in Pennsylvania today, as well as Michigan, though I would refer to uh, uh, Nick Knudsen's uh, comment uh, from uh, Demcast USA. He tweeted in response to those Fox News numbers last night by smartly advising, quote, assume all polls are wrong. Assume the Trump campaign and GOP will cheat. Assume massive voter suppression. Work to elect Joe Biden like your life depends on it. Apparently it does, he adds.
Good advice, Mr. Knudsen. But you know what? Never underestimate the Democrats' ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, even with that good news. To that end, Nancy Pelosi seems to be hard at work this week with some absolutely puzzling decisions that she is making as part of the uh, national coronavirus recovery effort, uh, beginning, but sadly not ending, uh, with a perplexing appointment to the coronavirus financial bailout oversight panel where she has named her wildly unqualified and embarrassingly conflicted friend, Congresswoman Donna Shalala to oversee trillions of dollars in bailout grants and loans going to thousands of businesses, some of which Shalala herself uh, has financial interests in. What is Pelosi thinking with her appointment of Donna Shalala? We will discuss that with the man who outed all of those conflicts and the federal law violated by Donna Shalala. In the bargain this week, David Dayan of the American Prospect joins us next. With that scoop and more, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Hello, Donna. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, weeks ago, weeks ago when this whole coronavirus thing was just getting started, I advised you at the time to start following David Dayan's daily unsanitized newsletter or column, however you like it, from The American Prospect, describing it then, as I do now, as indispensable, at least if you want to know what's going on before most in the corporate media have noticed, if they ever actually do. Uh, since that time, he has broken innumerable stories, many of them related to the way the various bailout and emergency relief schemes enacted by Congress and the administration are working out, or in more cases than not, not working out. His coverage of banks stealing, stealing the $1,200 emergency relief payments from their customers, even from disabled veterans, under claims of garnishing it to pay off past fees and debts, has forced some of those banks anyway to backtrack on their policy of stealing that money, a policy which should have and could have been prevented both when Congress passed the CARES Act authorizing the payments and by the administration itself, whose Treasury Department was given the permission by Congress to create a regulation that prevented banks from stealing that money from Americans. Neither Congress nor the Treasury Department, however, bothered to do so. Only naming and shaming largely by David at the prospect has forced at least some of those banks to reverse their reprehensible policy on that. That, of course is not the only boondoggle that Dayan has identified in his daily unsanitized report to be picked up and added to by others in the mainstream press, as well as uh, to force results, whether they like it or not, and they usually don't, from the bad guys that he names and shames. One of the latest examples 
is his relentless and stunningly on-target naming and shaming of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi for having selected Bill Clinton's former Health and Human Services Secretary and now freshman Florida Congresswoman Donna Shalala for, uh, to, to be on the four-person oversight board created in the CARES Act to oversee the trillions of dollars in bailouts and corporate giveaways mandated by that bill and by its successor being passed in Congress this week, largely to add more funding to the woefully underfunded Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, meant to help keep small businesses afloat. The Congressional Oversight Panel, uh, constructed to oversee trillions of dollars of giveaways, includes four members, one named by each of the four majority and minority leaders in each congressional chamber, as I understand it. And while uh, freshman California Congresswoman and, and killer financial oversight bulldog Katie Porter was dying to be named by Pelosi to the role, the speaker instead named her friend Donna Shalala to that role instead, despite the fact that Shalala has absolutely no oversight experience. Early this week, just after Shalala was named, Dan began citing her many apparent conflicts of interests vis-a-vis tons of stock investments that Shalala has in dozens of companies, big and small, that She's now tasked with overseeing on this panel as far as what they do with their bailout money. Shalala's office first tried to claim in response to Dayan's reporting that the congresswoman had already sold off many, if not all, of her stocks in those companies. But that was not good enough for David, who also noticed that if she had sold off those stocks, she failed to report it via statutorily mandated disclosures under the Stock Act, which requires Congress members to timely disclose all purchases uh, and sales of that type. At first, her office claimed that Shalala followed all of the legal requirements only to admit after Dayan's coverage that no, she actually hadn't. She either forgot or she didn't know that she had to uh, or she knew that she had to, but just decided she didn't want to disclose it anyway. This is the woman that Nancy Pelosi has tapped to oversee and ensure full disclosure of thousands of companies receiving trillions of dollars from the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve in what is almost certainly the largest such government Recover, uh, recovery attempt slash giveaway, bailout, whatever you want to call it, in U.S. history. As of today, Politico reports Shalala is apologizing for her failure, and CNN is reporting that Pelosi is nonetheless standing by her woman for reasons that I could not even begin to explain. But maybe David Dayan can. After all, neither of them uh, would be reporting on any of that, I suspect, if not for David's tenacious work. David Dayan is executive editor of The American Prospect and a longtime investigative financial journalist and bulldog himself who has been keeping us up to date on the broadcast on all of this chicanery since the crisis began. Oh, David, I'm sorry for that long intro, but you've been very busy this week since we last spoke. And I wanted to get folks caught up on just some of it, which I hope I got close to correct. So uh, welcome back, amigo. All right. Thank you. 
Uh, first, is there anything statutorily, David, that would legally prevent Nancy Pelosi from naming you to that oversight panel seat? Well, no. And, and this is what's interesting is that there is no requirement that a member of Congress mm -hmm. has to be uh, on, put on this congressional oversight panel. Uh, Chuck Schumer mm -hmm. chose... Uh, this guy named Bharat Ramamurthy, who uh, was an aide to Elizabeth Warren, mm -hmm. so not a member of Congress. Um, there's, in other words, the entire population of the United States was available <laughs> to Nancy Pelosi, and she decided to choose Donna Shalala, which in many ways makes this even worse. Which I, I, I know, and I don't know if you can even answer this or not, but uh, I guess I'm wondering, as I've been reading you this week, what the hell is Pelosi thinking by A, naming Shalala to this post in the first place, and B, with all kinds of outside good government and, and oversight groups, like now re the Revolving Door Project and the Project on Government Oversight, all calling Shalala out for failing basic reporting requirements of the Stock Act and describing her as unacceptable for a position tasked with overseeing the federal government's spending related to the current coronavirus crisis, how can Pelosi possibly still be standing by Shalala, given all that you've exposed regarding her perfidy in this uh, over this past week? I mean, you have to ask her. I, I certainly don't know. It, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have been my choice. Um, but, uh, you know, let, let's talk about this in terms of uh, policy mm -hmm. and then in terms of the politics. So in terms of the policy, you now have someone who, uh, as you mentioned, failed, uh, violated federal law by, by not disclosing trades for close to two years mm -hmm. and probably would never have if it weren't for mm -hmm. uh, her being named to this panel and then sub being subjected to some additional scrutiny. Uh, uh, so, so here's what that does, right? You have a panel where the number one issue right now is whether or not the Federal Reserve is going to name names of who they actually gave the bailout money to. Mm -hmm. There is an active fight within the Federal Reserve and among advocates on whether they're going to disclose that information. So they could give out, just to clarify, they could give out a trillion dollars or more to these companies and never tell the American people which companies actually received that trillion dollars? The way the law is written, all they are legally required to do is give aggregate information. Hey, we gave out a trillion dollars this month, and we got a 3% interest rate. That's really all they have wow. to give out legally. And so a lot of advocates have said, no, you've got to disclose. People have a right to know. Mm -hmm. So... We're going to put someone on this panel who didn't disclose right. when the people have a legal right to know. I mean, yes. it makes absolutely no sense. And, and then politically, what is one of the biggest scandals that has been exposed during the course of this coronavirus crisis? You have Richard Burr mm -hmm. and Kelly Loeffler, two Republican senators, mm -hmm. who uh, apparently in, in response to a briefing they got in late February about the extent of this crisis immediately dumped a ton of stock mm -hmm. uh, before the stock market crashed. Yep. And the only reason we know that is because of the Stock Act. Right. Like, that's the only reason we know that Richard Burr and Kelly Loeffler actually sold stuff on a particular day is because they were legally required to do so by the Stock Act. They themselves so admitted it. They, they were, had to. Yeah. They had to by law. 
here comes Donna Shalala. She didn't do it for 16 months. The next Richard Burr and the next Kelly Loeffler learns from that. Nothing happened to her for not disclosing that information. If, if she wasn't put on this panel, she probably would have never disclosed that information. Right. And so the next Richard Burr and the next Kelly Loeffler can say, oh, maybe I just don't do it. Right. And nothing will happen to Yes. Me. She, well, uh, apparently Shalala uh, told her uh, her spokesperson uh, tells the Miami Herald that she had a misunderstanding about the periodic transaction report process and her need to report the sales of those stocks. Now, right. the Which stock is insane because it, it could uh, be more straightforward. Right. The, the the statute says within forty five days you must report all stock transactions. Like this is not rocket science. This is not parliamentary procedure. If you made a trade, you have to report it. And I, yeah, I mean, when, they're, uh, uh, when that spokesman talked to me, uh-huh. he said, oh yeah, we totally legally requ- uh, followed all the requirements and talked to the House Ethics Committee and they will give you the proof of that. Well, the House Ethics Committee is not the entity that gets Stock Act transaction <laughs> information. It's the clerk of the House that actually deals with it. So they didn't even know what entity dealt with this, let alone uh, whether they were supposed to disclose. And this is just basic, straightforward information. How is Donna Shalala going to be in a hearing with the Federal Reserve asking them about the, the rules and procedures of the corporate bailout when she couldn't follow the most simple, basic step right. uh, required of her as a member of Congress. Which, I guess, brings me to the second part of that question, is what the hell could Nancy Pelosi be thinking? Maybe I didn't understand what she was thinking in naming her the in the first place, given that, A, we had Katie Porter, who was uh, born for this particular job. And wanted it. And wanted it. And, B, you had uh, Shalala, who really seems to have absolutely no experience in anything like this at all. Is this is this patronage? Is this a plum appointment? Right. I'm, I'm let trying me, to let me extend yeah. on the fact that the lack of experience, and then I will explain uh, or try to explain what what Pelosi was thinking. Okay. So, um, it, you know, Donna Shalala was a university president. Mm-hmm. She was the head of the Clinton Foundation for a few years. She was uh, a Health and Human Services Secretary. When Pelosi put out the announcement, she said. You know, her, her long history as Health and Human Services Secretary will serve her well in responding to this pandemic. That is total misinformation. This bailout panel is only about Federal Reserve lending programs. Mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the pandemic, has nothing to do with public health. Uh, uh, Shalala does not have that kind of very particularized experience that you would need Mm -hmm. to know about financial services, to know about the conduct of oversight, to know about, uh, uh, you know, these types of things. She's on the House Rules Committee, which just sets the rules for debate within Congress, and she's on the House Education and Labor Committee. Uh, uh, which has, you know, maybe if she's on the early childhood education subcommittee. So if that ever comes up <laughs> in uh, the bailout, it uh, might. Then she'll, it we'll, might. Be, yeah. we'll be golden. Um, so uh, I should say, by the way, education and labor has some jurisdiction over health care. And the one stock that she did not sell was in United Health, the health insurance company that she was on the board of for several years. That she still holds now? 
still holds that now. She admitted she still holds that stock now. So she's a walking conflict of interest, yeah. even in her normal duties in Congress. Yeah. Um, so, but, so why does Nancy Pelosi select her? Yeah. Well, the House Rules Committee is a bit of a tell, because everybody put on the House Rules Committee is a loyalist to Nancy Pelosi. Mm. She wants to know that the rules are going to be followed based on her dictates, and she puts people on that committee who she knows will vote exactly the way she wants. Mm. And Donna Shalala, even though she's a first-term member of Congress, she's been around for a long time, she's mm-hmm. a personal friend of Nancy Pelosi's, she is a loyalist. She is going to do whatever Nancy Pelosi says in the conduct of that position. And it's almost not just this appointment, but almost every appointment that this, this sort of uh, colors, because mm-hmm. what it says to everybody who might want uh, a plum position given to them by Nancy Pelosi, you have to be loyal to me mm. before you get that. And uh, I think that's a bit of what's going on here. It's really sad to see. And I've got a few more complaints about Pelosi that I want to get to in a second. But very quickly, since you mentioned Bharat Ramamurthy, uh, appointed on uh, by, by Schumer, I guess. That was his yeah. pick from the Senate side. You said he was a, 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 a student, I guess, of Elizabeth Warren. Do we have more confidence in him, at least, to do this job? Absolutely. So Barat has uh, been working for the last two weeks literally just through his Twitter feed mm-hmm. because they don't have staff, they don't have a, an office, right. and they didn't have anybody else on this panel up until you know a few days ago. <laughs> So he's been a one-man band, and he has gotten the Federal Reserve just through public communication to agree to some measures of transparency in terms of these bailout lending programs. Mm-hmm. So he is someone who, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with for a long time. He's very effective, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he will, uh, you know, show similar attributes as Senator Warren does in her oversight uh, responsibilities, uh, say, on the Senate Banking Committee, or on the, this, you know, Warren was on this panel in 2008, essentially this panel, looking at the, the financial crisis bailout. Mm. So uh, there's a lot of synergies there. So I think, I think Barad is going to do a good job. Well, that is good news, at least. And on the, uh, who, who has been appointed on the Republican side, the two choices over there? <laughs> So on the Republican side, you have Pat Toomey, who was chosen by uh, Mitch McConnell. Oh, boy. Uh, he is a senator from Pennsylvania and yep. a former banker and a, kind of a Chamber of Commerce mole. Yep. Um, French Hill, who is a very nondescript member of Congress uh, uh, in the Republican caucus, was chosen. He is also a former banker. Um, there is a fifth member that has not been chosen. That has to be done through a consensus of Pelosi and McConnell, and that person will be the chair of this commission. Hmm. So that remains to be seen. We have, we have no idea whether the Democrats will be in the majority or the minority on this panel, uh, and, 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 and who will chair it. And the chair, obviously, uh, will, will determine a lot uh, of, of, of what gets done. I mean, the chair of the financial crisis mm-hmm. bailout panel was Warren. And, and that obviously colored what their, their tasks were. So uh, uh, that, that sort of remains to be seen. And, and somehow Pelosi and McConnell have to come to a consensus on this person? That's correct. 
I'm sure that'll work out very well. I know that uh, I know it's it's fashionable in certain sectors of the uh, you know certain leftish circles to sort of beat up on Nancy Pelosi, and frankly, uh, too often undeservedly, in my opinion. But she certainly deserves it here for the Shalala appointment, and now for what seems to be a dereliction of duty by both her and. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer in failing to use their leverage to force a number of much-needed provisions into these continuing emergency relief measures in uh, in Congress. Uh, there's a new one they're passing this week. Uh, what does the new bill uh, being passed? What does it do to improve on the previous CARES Act? And 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 where are the Democrats failing? What are they failing? I guess to include, as they seem to be set on giving away all of their leverage with each ensuing bill. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it improves upon really anything. It, it just adds to the existing program. So uh, there is uh, roughly $350 billion more put into this small business lending program, which, mm-hmm. of course, initially had a $350 billion outlay, and uh, it, 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 it exhausted those the, that funding within two weeks. As, two as weeks, you actually. said it would on day one, actually, I think before it was even passed, you said that it was not even going to come close to what was needed. Right, and it hasn't, and uh, we're learning more about how big banks kind of put their biggest clients in the front of the line, the biggest ones that they could justify as a small business. Mm-hmm. We're hearing about companies like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse yeah. getting $10 million, $20 million loans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, the program certainly needed a bit of an overhaul, and it didn't get it. It just got more money. Um, there is a minor amount of it that is reserved for smaller institutions, smaller banking institutions, uh, to, to, to provide the loans. But, you know, smaller institutions provided some of these loans, and I think the small set-aside isn't really going to, going to change uh, the, the fundamental workings of the program. So... Um, that's part of it. And then there's another $75 billion for hospitals. Mm-hmm. There was $100 billion for hospitals in the first CARES Act bill. Uh, a lot of that went toward uh, very large hospital networks to offset uh, losses that they have from not t- doing elective surgeries and things like that. It's, uh, you know, it wasn't exactly a pandemic response. It was just keeping hospitals alive. Right. And then there's $25 billion more for testing, uh, you know, each bill seemingly uh, makes tests free. I, I don't know why the first one doesn't take, but like every bill has said, <laughs> and testing will be free. Um, but uh, this one actually provides money to surge testing. Obviously, we need more testing in order to get the economy back to normal. You have to be able to test rapidly yep. and consistently, consistently, and then trace the individuals who uh, have been mm-hmm. uh, testing positive. And, and, and quarantine them. So uh, that's somewhat positive, I suppose, but here's everything that wasn't in there. Okay. So uh, state and local government funding, none of that. Uh, uh, payroll support along the lines of just uh, uh, having the government uh, uh, operate these payrolls rather than having people laid off, uh, not in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, money for the Postal Service, which is about to go under, not in there. Uh, health insurance, uh, expansion for those uh, for the duration of the crisis not in there uh, rent relief not in there uh, foreclosure relief uh, not in there um, I could go on and on and on uh, there were just a number of workplace safety standards not in there uh, there's 
there are just a number of these provisions that uh, uh, Democrats have wanted for some time, but they haven't really had an opportunity for months to uh, actually write a bill. Uh, all these bills have been coming out of the Senate, mm-hmm. which is controlled by McConnell. And uh, Nancy Pelosi, who is essentially a one-woman Congress right now, you yeah. know, we don't have remote voting or proxy voting, mm-hmm. so uh, most members of Congress have effectively been sidelined. She's been, she's been negotiating these packages by herself, uh, and uh, in my view, disenfranchising every member of Congress. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the other individuals uh, who are supposed to represent their districts have, have effectively been sitting and waiting at home and being told to vote up or down on whatever piece of legislation that Nancy Pelosi personally writes. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's a real problem. Yeah, it is a real problem, and I did want to ask you about that, but very quickly, before we just get off this one specific uh, point, did by the way, did Congress bother to uh, fix in this uh, new bill uh, the issue where banks are, are uh, allowed to steal America's $1,200 relief checks? They did not, okay. nor did they guarantee vote-by-mail for every American during the November election. So, I mean, there are these huge outstanding issues, yeah. and, uh, you know, they were seemingly set aside to give Mitch McConnell what he really wanted, which was the extension of that small business program. Now we're hearing there's going to be a fourth bill, and, and that's, that's where the real good stuff is going to come in, right? They just keep pushing it aside, pushing it aside, uh, and what incentive is there for Mitch McConnell, who already got his corporate bailout, Mm -hmm. who already got two rounds of his uh, small business lending, which isn't even that small. Uh, uh, What is the incentive for him to come to the table right now? And she has said that after each of these bills, after the phase three, and I guess they call this phase 3.5, but as far as McConnell's concerned, I think this is phase four he's done <laughs> but he said that same thing after the you know pelosi came out after three and said oh there's going to be many more bills and uh, mcconnell said nope no there's not and uh we barely got this one and once again pelosi saying the same thing there'll be fur- further bills and mcconnell saying the same thing nope that's it we're done so they keep giving away their leverage, uh, do, do you even hear Pelosi, uh, you know, uh, in your reporting, do you he- even hear her attempting to get these things before she gives it all away? As she well, has? what's interesting is that just today, the Washington Post, DJ Dion, came out with a column that was based on an interview with Pelosi, and she was much stronger there in saying, this one, I'm writing the bill, it's going to originate in the House, we're, if if uh, McConnell wants to get involved, great, but we're, we're going to drive this process. You know, previously what she had been saying is, yeah, we're going to get to the other stuff, but these are great bills that are, you know, uh, uh, securing needs for the American people. Uh, she, was, she was very, you know, positive about them, and this was, this was a different kind of, of stance, and I think there is some pressure both from outside groups who are absolutely furious about this continued loss of leverage, mm-hmm. and from people within the caucus itself who are thinking, I-, I was elected to represent people. I wasn't elected to have Nancy Pelosi by proxy tell me what to do. And uh, I-, I-, I do think that there's a bit of pressure getting to her. Frankly, the Shalalah situation should add to that pressure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it may be too late at this point, because, mm-hmm. as you said, McConnell is saying, 
Uh, well, state and local governments, they can use bankruptcy. Uh, we're not, we're not going to worry about them too much. And, uh, and then he's brought up the specter of the deficit and, uh, and said that his yeah. members have to be involved in back in, in, in Washington for anything to happen. And, you know, I, I just don't expect members to come back to Washington for an extended period for some time. Be, be, uh, beyond all that, uh, very quickly, uh, wh- what's McConnell's game here in saying that uh, he's no, he's not going to help cities and states? I mean, a lot of these cities and states are Republican cities and states that he's not helping. The Democrats would like to help. Wh- I think wh- there are two things of? going on. Yeah. First, he hates public sector unions, and he sees this as a way to renegotiate or terminate those contracts. Mm. Second of all, mm. He wants everybody back in Congress so he can start doing the thing that he's wanted to do and has been doing for the entire uh, tenure of the Trump presidency, which is is elect more or confirm more right-wing judges. Mm -hmm. Uh, This has been put on hold throughout the pandemic, and it was actually put on hold during the impeachment trial. Mm -hmm. So he has not gotten enough judges through this year relative to his expectations. And that's why he wants everybody back, because he wants to start the judicial confirmation factory up mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, playing into his thinking as well. So is it uh, on the Senate side, uh, Democrats may not want to bring everybody back for well, that I mean, reason? I don't know that they have a choice. You know, if McConnell says everybody's got to come in, they do a quorum call, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, as long as he gets his guys in, uh-huh. then they're, they have the 50 votes they need to gotcha. uh, elect judges and so on the, and confirm judges. And so on the House side, uh, could Pelosi do that same thing and, and essentially by fiat set up some uh, remote voting system so that, you know, this is not... They need a vote. They need a okay. vote to change the rules of the House. And, and it looked like this week they were going to get that vote while people are in voting on this right. phase three pie package or yeah. whatever. Um, but they changed at the last minute and said, no, we're going to do a commission to study the question. Uh-huh. And the suspicion is that Republicans are against it. House Republicans are against changing the rule. Mm-hmm. And they didn't bring everybody in for this vote. They brought a handful of people in for the vote. And Republicans might have had more people there than Democrats and would have been able to vote down mm. the remote voting part of this. Mm-hmm. So they they punted to this study, and as you know, in Washington, if you make something a study, you're you're saying well, we're never going yeah. to do it. Which which means that this whole thing is being uh, run ostensibly, as you said, by Mitch in the Senate, Nancy in the House, um, mm-hmm. and really that means the entire thing is being led from the daily bully pulpit slash campaign stump of our uh, stable genius in the White House. So that works yeah. out well if, if you've got a weak Congress. Before I uh, let you go here, David, uh, throughout all of this, I, I don't know if a day has gone by when I hadn't wished that there was a uh, actually a big government task force uh, over, uh, overseeing everything about this pandemic as led by someone like Elizabeth Warren. Actually, not like Elizabeth Warren, but actually Elizabeth Warren. Are you hearing anything in your reporting about a call for her to be Biden's uh, vice president so that she could be put in charge of exactly that as vice president? And please say yes to that question. (laughs) I mean, the vice president, uh, uh, she's certainly on the short list. Um, uh, We we public there's enough public reporting to know 
that she's on the list, but there are a lot of people on that list. Uh, they're all women, mm-hmm. as we know. Uh, uh, Vice President Biden has uh, said that his running mate will be a woman. Um, I, I, I kind of believe that because the locus of political power has shifted from Washington to the states, and it's really kind of remarkable because mm-hmm. you would never even hear, you probably couldn't name three governors if you're the average person mm-hmm. on the street, uh, including maybe your own, because national politics just doesn't talk about the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're in a situation where we have, you know, live Andrew Cuomo uh, uh, com- press conferences on national television. Mm-hmm. So I really think Gretchen Whitmer has uh, an inside track, mm. uh, and that's, I think, what's motivating a lot of these right-wing rallies and things, uh, mm-hmm. because a lot of them are based in Michigan, and, right. and it's an attempt to, to tarnish her image early. Um, it, it just seems like the balance of power has shifted to the states, and, and people have realized that state governors have a lot of ability to set policy, uh, and, and those who are doing it well are getting a lot of credit, and, and, and you know, the, Whitmer stands in that category. Well, that may be true, but I think the balance of power has actually shifted to the coronavirus and the damage <laughs> that it is going to do uh, that is, I think, still being uh, I should, I, wildly I should underestimated. Yeah. Warren has... Warren has actually called for that task force that you're talking about, and she called for it uh, in a letter today. Really? Um, uh, you know, she wanted inspectors general and mm-hmm. things like that to study it, but, but you know, she, she, she laid the groundwork today in a letter uh, for there to be a larger reckoning here, similar to the 9-11 Commission. Yeah. And I, I do suspect that eventually we will see uh, that. We need just someone like her dedicated to uh, saving us all, frankly. And not just like her, but actually her. I think that would be swell. David Day, and by the way, uh, thank you for linking uh, in today's unsanitized column to Vic DiBetetto. I had not seen that. Uh, and as soon as we can find time to bleep out all of the words that would definitely yeah, not be... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't we can't play it as is, but maybe we'll edit it and find four minutes of air and share that at some point in the broadcast, because he nails it as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Thank you for that. I'll point people to, her, uh, to your column today. David Day, and uh, investigative financial journalist, executive editor of The American Prospect, author of award-winning books, and he has one coming out very soon called Monopolized Life in the Age of Corporate Power. I cannot imagine what that is about. Some crazy leftist screed, no doubt. Uh, David, uh, oh, find him uh, at prospect.org where you can sign up for his unsanitized newsletter and harass him all you like on the Twitters at D. Dan. Thank you, David. All right. Thank you, Brett. Okay, quick break. And Desi Doyen, you are on deck with Yay. the Green News Report. You are responsible uh, for making us all happier. <laughs> that is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate And thanks. Okay, 
Jesse Doyen, as I recall, there is uh, some good news in your latest Green News report, isn't there? Yes, there is. All right, we'll find out. Let's get right to it. The world is suddenly learning what can happen if humans stop polluting the environment. Coronavirus shutdown has drastically cut pollution and emissions around the world. World's oceans hit record high temperatures, plus... All of these things that we took for granted as unchangeable have been proven to be quite changeable in just the time span of a few months. COVID-19 is redefining what's possible in climate action. All of those possibilities and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Oil prices sank to historic lows, at one point reaching negative $40 a barrel. Negative 40 bucks. Now to save their profits, Texas oil fields are immediately switching over to drilling for toilet paper. (laughs) Good call. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this is weird. This is an unusual moment. We could be looking at the end of fracking for oil? Yes, the sustained crash in oil prices in the United States could very well mean the death knell for the entire U.S. oil shale drilling industry. Sad. That's because demand is unlikely to recover anytime soon. Now, President Trump this week promised to use taxpayer funds to bail out U.S. drillers that have been hit hard by coronavirus shutdowns that have crushed demand for their product and their own risky business decisions. Isn't that um, socialism? Yes, it is. Bloomberg News reports that some in the industry fear a bailout of the profitable fossil fuel industry could spark a backlash among voters during an election year. Well, we'd hate to see that. Meanwhile, global warming, which is caused by burning fossil fuels, is accelerating. How can it be accelerating if we're not burning as much fossil fuel anymore? Because we still burned plenty historically, so all that carbon dioxide is still there. Oh. On Wednesday, the 50th annual Earth Day, NOAA announced that 2020 is on track to be the planet's hottest year on record globally since record-keeping began in 1880, beating out 2016 for the top spot. Now, if that projection holds, it will be a remarkable and disturbing milestone because there is no El Nino in the Pacific Ocean to boost global temperatures. So normally we see these type of years when there is an El Nino that makes it warmer no matter what. And now there is none, and it's still hot? Yes. Great. Part of that is due to the world's oceans, which are now also the warmest ever recorded, with parts of the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans all hitting record warm temperatures last month. Forecasters warn that all that extra heat energy likely will fuel a higher risk of extreme weather, hurricanes, wildfires, and floods. You know, we're kind of in the middle of a global pandemic here. Don't you have any better news for us? Well, coronavirus shutdowns are having a direct effect on reducing the greenhouse gas emissions that cause man-made global warming. So there's that. The World Meteorological Organization estimated this week that the pandemic will drive down carbon dioxide emissions by about 6% this year. That is the biggest annual drop since World War II. So there you go. There's some good news for you. And people are getting a window into how quickly the world gets cleaner when humans stop polluting so much. Levels of deadly toxic smog have now dropped 60% in major cities around the world. Thanks to small
smog-free skies, Germany was able to set a new record for solar power generation this month. And in Los Angeles... We saw that L.A. had some of the cleanest air quality in the world. What? That's the CEO of a company that monitors air quality. They declared that this week in Los Angeles, where an estimated 80% of cars are off the roads, a city infamous for its traffic and pollution (laughs) now has the cleanest air of any major city in the world. Wait a minute. The cleanest air of any major city in the world here in Los Angeles? That's what she said. That's kind of amazing. Annual greenhouse gas emissions are also almost certain to shrink this year as well. When economic activity resumes, of course, pollution and emissions will surge again. But Stanford environmental scientist Rob Jackson tells CBS News we can learn from this experience. If we drive less, it will save time and and make things healthier. It doesn't have to be shelter in home or clean air. It can be clean air every day. As the world marked the 50th anniversary of Earth Day this week, calls are growing for governments to focus on coronavirus economic recovery packages that also target climate action and resilience at the same time. On MSNBC, journalist David Wallace-Wells noted that the world's stunningly quick reaction to the coronavirus emergency shows that such deep shifts are indeed possible when we want to. We need to take that expanded horizon and apply it to climate change because we need many more things to happen than are enclosed within our existing sense of what's possible. We need to expand that horizon on climate as aggressively as we have with COVID-19. Well, I guess if our choices are between deep shifts and any other choices... I'll take them. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. See you there. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. On that clear day you will see forever and ever more. Oh, thank you very much, Sammy. You just made me smile. Let's let him play us out. Thanks also uh, to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with (laughs) us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. We cannot thank you enough. Uh, Oh, also thanks to my guest today, the American Prospects, David Dayen. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. Find me there. Share me there. uh, Help us raise holy hell. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. On a very clear day, you will see forever. On a clear day, you will see forever.